This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Hello, and thank you for being here. I am Chris Samsa, and this is the Sport of Pro Wrestling podcast. Today, I was joined by the voice of New Japan Pro Wrestling, Kevin Kelly, to talk about the G1 Climax tournament to this point and preview the block final nights from Ryogoku Sumo Hall. Kevin, along with Rocky Romero and Chris Charlton, will be live on English commentary, so you can catch these events in English as they're happening or immediately at your leisure on njpwworld.com. For those of you who have been listening, this podcast will replace what would have been two separate daily audio previews, but you can certainly find my written, fully detailed and researched previews for these cards at VoicesOfWrestling.com or SportOfProWrestling.com. For those of you who are new here, I am Chris Sampsa. I'm happy you're here. Drop me a follow on Twitter at TheChrisSampsa and subscribe to the Sport of Pro Wrestling podcast feed on your podcatcher of choice. Now that we've got the logistics out of the way, let's get to my conversation with Kevin Kelly. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Sport of Pro Wrestling podcast. I am Chris Samsa, and this is the first time I'm straying from my typical format of previewing just one event because I have a very special guest with me today, the leading voice of New Japan Pro Wrestling, at least on the English side of things, Kevin Kelly. Kevin, how are you? Thanks for being here. Man, this is my first time uh, talking to you. We've only <laughs> ever communicated via email. So, uh, it, again, I just want to start by saying thank you for your contribution to the New Japan Pro Wrestling event broadcasts. Uh, your stats are uh, just a, a godsend. So I can't thank you enough. Hey, uh, the that's very gracious, um, but I, I also have to thank you. I appreciate you putting them to good use. Um, I don't know what other avenue would do that, uh, but you are the best in the business for a reason. So um, I, I appreciate that, and I appreciate uh, the lane you have given me to contribute to uh, the New Japan community. It's, it's really an honor. Having the support of Joe and Rich and Voice of Wrestling, you know, is great too. Uh, so definitely want to thank them. And... Just again, it's like you said, the community, right? So I've been just trying to, at first I was trying to get to know the community. Now I'm grow, I'm trying to grow the community. We all are. And and I've done a lot of interviews over the last couple of days because the G1 is is uh, coming to a close. So with the big weekend upcoming of, of live English commentary. And, and again, that's one of the key points that I hit on. It's like, we are trying to grow this and get this out to the masses uh, you know, and it's a lot of time. It's one viewer at a time, one new fan at a time. And that's that's fine. I'm in it for the long haul. Absolutely. Absolutely. An honorable mission indeed. Um, so <laughs> Kevin is gracious enough to join me today to take a look at how G1 Climax 30 panned out so far. And of course, this year's G1 Climax has looked different in, in so many ways. So um, especially for those of us on the English speaking side, but probably mostly for you, Kevin, um, do you want to give people a little rundown of what this year's tournament has entailed in, in contrast to a normal G1 for you and the broadcast team? The biggest difference of all, Chris, is that I'm not gone away from my family for a month. <laughs> I've been I've slept in my own bed every single night. And while we have not had 
benefit or pleasure of being live for the fans. It has been really nice uh, to be home and to be able to call the events. We've we've turned them around as quickly as possible, Rocky and I, and it's not our job. We don't upload them to the site. You know, we just do our part of recording and we send the information to them and and they work as a team to, to get things up. But uh, it's been completely different. But we settled into a groove after about the first week and really got rolling here, um, you know, heading into the home stretch. So I think from the second half of the tournament on, we it's been just like it has been in the past. Absolutely. Um, so what's, if you don't mind, what's the process going to be to get you guys live? Does that take um, a lot of infrastructure um, to go live over these next three cards? I am going to be here in my home, just like always, and we're going to do it just like we did the Jingu Stadium event. So Chris will be in Japan, Chris Charlton. He's actually going to be at Ryogoku. Rocky will be in his home in Los Angeles, and I'm going to be here in Pennsylvania. So it's the same as we did at Jingu, just adding a third third band to the booth. This time it's Rocky, and from there we'll see how it goes. I can't ever make any promises. That's the thing. We tried it with Jingu, and I thought, because the Jingu Stadium event on August 29th went so well, I thought the game plan, and it was my mistake for assuming, I thought the game plan was we do the test run with Jingu Stadium, and then we'll go live for the entire G1. But they always had the plan that, they being New Japan World, that we would try the Jingu Stadium event, and then we would do the final three nights live. That was the that was the plan the whole time. So it was my miscommunication to the fans. But again, the, the fact that the Jingu Stadium event went so well, that means we're able to do it this way live. And hopefully, fingers crossed, everything will work good. I'll tell you a quick story. So on August 28th, we had here at my house in my neighborhood, we had a power outage that knocked out. Yeah. um, Somebody a couple of miles away from my house, there was a car accident and they hit some important piece of equipment that housed not only the electrical equipment, but also cable. So once the power came back on about nine o'clock Friday night, about four hours before bell, (sighs) I realized that the cable was out too and cable internet is how I would stream. And so I'm scrambling. I'm like, Oh my God, what do I do? What do I do? Uh, I would use my phone. I would use cellular service, something like that. I don't know. And then like an hour or so into my panic, it came back on and I was so thankful. So I was sweating bullets. There was tense times. I never talked about it, but it was not looking good. Like I was not going to be able to be on. And the whole thing would have been canceled because some somebody wrecked their car. Uh, so car accidents, weather, acts of God, you know, outside of that, we should be good to go. Fingers crossed for a clean and clear weekend in right. uh, Pennsylvania, right? Yeah, so. Absolutely. Awesome. So 
Let's take a little peek at the results so far. We're here to preview the last three nights, or well, I guess the block final nights of the G1 because we can't really get into the final because we won't know who's there. Exactly. Uh, but let's take a look at the results so far. For those of you who have not watched the English commentary or have not caught yourself up on where we're at in the G1, we are post night 16. We do not want to spoil anyone. If you want to hit the pause button, uh, catch that card, make sure that you are not um, spoiling yourselves with a podcast. I appreciate that and I respect that. So this is your warning from here on forward. There will be spoilers. So let's take a look at results so far. And we'll start with the block that everyone's talking about, the block that is the closest, the most highly contested. Of course, I'm talking, Kevin, about the C block. So the C block, yeah, I gotcha. The C block is maybe everyone's favorite block. Um, Yota Suji, Yuya Uemura, and Gabriel Kidd, they have performed on every single G1 card in some way, shape, or form, and they are tight-knit over here. So right now, if we're tracking the C block the same way we track any other block, two points for a win, one point for a draw, and no points for a loss, we have Yota Suji at 12 points, Yuya Uemura at 11, and Gabriel Kidd at 9. Now, Gabriel Kidd's got an extra match coming up in these last three. Kevin, what have you seen from the C block uh, now that you've called at least, I guess, 10 of each of their matches in the last three weeks or so? Yeah, I'm all caught up. And uh, like I said, spoilers, so apologies. But what I've seen is a real emphasis on wrestling. And, And... of course, the C block for, and I'm sure everybody's, I hope everybody's aware of it. It's a brainchild of David Finley, <laughs> who's a loon. And a couple of years ago, he and uh, Hanare were poised to have a singles match at the end of the tour, even though both were not in the G1. So we came up with the idea of the C block, and then it became a whole big thing. So uh, last year, we sort of did an unofficial thing, not really, because Finley was out. And then this year, it's the Young Lions. So what I've seen during these uh, matches has been a great deal of tremendous mat wrestling, a little less reliant on strike, strike, strike. And I've enjoyed the matches a lot more because there seems to be a a point to, uh, you know, an idea behind everybody's thing. Uemura comes in and really works on the left arm in hopes of hitting what, what is called the kanuki. Suplex, K-A-N-N-U-K-I. I learned that from the post-match comments. Um, and, and of course, Suji has won with his power, bullish intensity, and the Boston Crab. And Gabe Kidd with that very nifty Billy Robinson-style uh, butterfly suplex. Everything points towards those things. So the matches follow a logical flow, and depending on who gets there first, they're the ones who win. It's been very enjoyable. I love it. It's been fantastic. And those guys, all three of them, clearly have a future in New Japan Pro Wrestling. Worth, uh, worth watching. It's, it's very fun to have one extra match on each, each one of these cards that is worth watching. Has anyone stood out to you as, um, I guess what you would say is probably the next to either go on excursion or graduate? Rocky, I, I left that more to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Rocky said he feels like Suji is just about ready to go. Yeah. He thinks Uemura needs a little bit more, and Kid is 
we'll get there if everything continues as is, but is the least experienced in the dojo system. So he's, it's only going to benefit him to grow, but, but Suji's almost there. So probably him. Uh, I've, what I've seen from all three is very bright futures. Um, and I know that they're not alone because you could throw Clark Connors into the mix as well. He's, he's another one that's going to be, and, and we've already moved Carl Fredericks beyond, right? Cause he's technically not a young lion anymore. So, that's where things stand with the with the unofficial C block, um, but I think that, I think it's just been tremendous, and I can't think of anything that either any of those three are lacking. Sure, in my regard, other than just time and experience. Time, right? All right, let's get down to the real deal here. The A block, the A block's final night will come to us from Ryogoku Sumo Hall on Friday, October sixteenth, twenty twenty, at six thirty p.m. Japan Standard Time. So that's four thirty a.m. Central for me, five thirty a.m. Eastern uh, for Kevin, two thirty on the West Coast, and let's throw in London, ten thirty a.m. in London. Uh, the A block has four wrestlers still alive: Kota Ibushi, Kazuchika Okada. And Jay White, all at 12 points, and Will Ospreay at 10. They're followed by six wrestlers still wrestling for pride. Taichi and Jeff Cobb at 8 points. Shingo Takagi, Tomohiro Ishii, and Minoru Suzuki all at 6 points. And the winless Yujiro Takahashi. So, Kevin, A Block, what have you seen so far from the A Block? Uh, It has been the more outstanding in terms of outstanding matches i think with ibushi and uh, switchblade certainly setting the pace i know a lot of people and i, I let's spend a little bit of time on okada because sure. i think that deserves some thought and some reflection um i've been just looking at it i'm surprised that the the guys at eight are taichi and jeff cobb with Ishii, Shingo, and Suzuki all beneath them. That, to me, is one of the biggest surprises. It's not a shock that Jay White, Okada, and Ibushi are, are you know, at the top. That doesn't shock me. I said that from the onset. They're the favorites to be in the mix, in the money, at tournament's end. Osprey's about where I figured he would be. But really, the, the, the switcheroo at eight and six is where that would have been a big puzzlement to me. And Yujiro's out, he's just outclassed. He, he doesn't belong in the tournament, in my opinion. And were it not for uh, the global pandemic, uh, I think perhaps it would, have, it would have shook out another way. But uh, he's provided some interesting moments, no doubt. And uh, he just has the one match left. And then I think that will probably be it for him in terms of G1 competition. Just doesn't have what it takes. But what has been, okay, so. I'm too close to it, perhaps. And I see Okada, and I just see greatness. Hmm. Um, I see difference, but greatness, nevertheless. Why is everybody so hot and bothered about this? Oh, there's a lot of discourse about Okada and his, um, I guess, what the perception is, is his desire to change his style for fun um, and and whether or not that is a good strategy going forward for Okada. So a lot of what I'm hearing is that it's a purposeless change to abandon a move like the Rainmaker or a more of an impact style 
and to go into um, really commit to this money clip. The and 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 also in turn that that may have changed his pacing of his matches so that he's less dominant because that's a skill that Okada has and has always had and has used to breed a lot of success. Is that he he'll outpace you. He'll set the pace and the, that match is his, even though it might not feel like it. And then he just knows he's building you up to break you down. So I think there's a, there is a lot of discourse within the community about whether or not his um, strategy of changing his both his pacing as well as his kind of impact maneuvers, whether or not that's the, a good strategy for him um, long term. So Okada is he he's he seems to have put it together though in his last couple of matches, right? The Shingo match and Suzuki always kind of brings out the best in Okada too. So it seems that that has maybe leveled out. He seems like he's a little more inclined to go uh, he's tempted by the rainmaker, right? Risk right. control and 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 the like, but he hasn't had to use it yet. But maybe he's just keeping it in his back pocket. Right. That's that's what I and and the other match that we're we're not ignoring uh, is Ishii, of course, which was fantastic. It's a you know the guy who's the fastest and he's running against his friend and he slows down a little bit and he waves his friend on. Come on, catch up. That's almost what I feel like Okada is doing. Um, it's just, he's so good and to put himself at risk by learning a new move on the fly, patenting it, becoming familiar with it, knowing how to get, get into it out of different positions, whether stand up or ground based. If a guy's flat on the ground, it's easy. You sit him up and you put the hold on, but to be able to transition in, out, back through, clamp the hold on. That takes time. And but he's doing it, you know, there's no lab. There's no practice for this. You just you have to do it in the real game situations. And that's what he's done. Oh, and by the way, in the New Japan Cup and in the G1, no pressure at all. <laughs> so uh, I just I appreciate his talent. And I think that, again, the other move that he's checked away from, too, is the top rope elbow drop. Mm hmm. So I think what we're seeing is now an over 30 Okada starting to lay the groundwork for a career that's going to extend through the rest of this next decade and to be able to wrestle at a high level into his 40s. And he sees Tanahashi, whose body, is his knees are shot, is broken down because of the high fly flow. He never got away from that. Once he found that high fly flow, that was it. Now, the setup for the rainmaker is kind of similar and but he's so he's added a new submission finisher while showing that he's able to roll guys up and pin them and has the rainmaker in his back pocket all while checking and putting the top rope elbow drop in his hip pocket that's pretty cool to me and if he wins it'll be all worth it right seems like a good place to be as long as he hasn't I guess you can never let you can never leave your roots behind. Um, sometimes that ends up being a temptation. So, so those are so we have four guys still in the mix, right? Will Ospreay kind of on the outside looking in, but he does have a path forward. 
um, that requires a lot of help. Right. I don't. I don't know that we necessarily need to go into um, all of the details of that. I, I'll have that in writing at VoicesOfWrestling.com because it's much part easier. Part of it is, but part of it to me is reliant upon a Yujiro Takahashi win. It um it is one hundred percent reliant on a Yujiro Takahashi win, which will have happened. We we will know the results of that because we know the match order on A Block Night. We'll we'll know if Osprey's still alive by the time we get to Osprey's match. But yes, if Yujiro wins. Osprey has a shot, a, a still a long shot, and a 12-point tie, which after drilling down, I believe, three levels of tiebreakers, he then would exit the block the winner. All right. So I think I gave him a 6% chance of winning when I ran my uh, block win probability calculations. And that's even, I was I kind of saw it, I was like, ah, that might be overselling it, but the numbers, the numbers are the numbers. So... But the big three, Kazuchika Okada, Kota Ibushi, and Jay White, they're all in separate matches, um, building in, I guess, uh, stakes as the night goes on. And so the, the match order is is correct to um, what is r- truly at stake and, and what could be at stake by the end of the night. So Kazuchika Okada, to win the block, he will be in the third match of the night against Will Ospreay, but to win the block, he needs to win or draw, and then he needs White and Kota Ibushi to lose. Kota Ibushi, to win, he needs to win his match against Taichi, of course, right? So, But then he also needs for Jay White to lose, so Ibushi and Taichi is the semi-main event. And then Jay White, for Jay White to win, he just needs to win. Um, he doesn't. He's not dependent on anybody else. And this is all based on tiebreakers and things of the sort. And so it, when you look at it that way, you look at, I guess, really those three guys are still in the mix. What, how do you think this pans out? Well, I think the first thought that I had was, you know, I think a lot of people did this when they saw the matches and where they were and the, on the given night. You saw that Okada versus Osprey was, you know, booked for that last night of the G1. You said, OK, uh, they're probably going to wind up being in the, you know, in the main event. It, it would seem to be um, the fact that Jay White and but it works perfectly because Jay White and Ibushi both beat Okada. Right. So even though Okada is the bigger star in the match versus Osprey is the bigger marquee matchup, I think they've earned the right to be ahead of Okada. So that works in my opinion. The where it gets into itchy for me is is Jay White and something has got me thinking like Goto 2016. Mm-hmm. Like there's a draw that's going to happen and and that's going to allow Okada to slip through. Uh, you know, just some crazy conflagration of events that that has the rainmaker in uh but obviously you gotta like jay white because he's the he's got the clearest path the clearest path is always helpful i know that thomas fishbeck over at voices of wrestling has done some work with the draws i um you know what i let the draws happen when the draws happen and i'll, I'll do the math when it when it comes but i okada slipping through here if he, you know, can defeat Osprey, which is a big if, right? Because Osprey is no, no easy feat. But Okada then slipping in with um, Ibushi losing to Taichi and Jay White losing to Ishi. You know, Okada's pal Ishi. 
um, that's certainly a possibility that we can't ignore. So um, this is going to be a fun last three matches on the card. Of course, Ibushi and Taichi, they have a a long history in 2020. Um, Maybe this is an indicator uh, if something happens here in this match that we transition back to that tag team program. uh, If Kota Ibushi wants to get back into that division, which um, we would have to see if he doesn't win the G1. Uh, earlier on the card, we do have Jeff Cobb versus Yujiro Takahashi. Jeff Cobb entering with eight points after defeating Will Ospreay just the other night. Again, this is the match to watch for if you're a Will Ospreay fan. You need Yujiro Takahashi to pick up that win to give Ospreay a chance at that wild tiebreaker scenario that would give him the block. And fighting just for pride and maybe an indicator of a never open weight championship, kind of returning to what they were up to just before the G1, Shingo Takagi versus Minoru Suzuki. Um, These guys have met just once and it was fantastic, but Minoru Suzuki did take the never open weight championship from Shingo Takagi. So you got to wonder if Shingo wins that match, will he seek a never open weight title match either on the power struggle tour or maybe beyond that so so that's basically your a block card as it stands headed into the a block final at ria goku kevin anything else you're looking out for on this card so taiji beat suzuki first taiji beat suzuki convincingly and taiji might finish ahead of uh, or at least tied with, you know, uh, Shingo at the block. So then Taichi deserves first crack at Suzuki. So, which to me was like one of my big takeaways rarely happens in traffection, but it was a unique set of circumstances that I can't imagine matchmakers in new Japan would want to get away from, uh, you know, Shingo versus Suzuki again for the never title. Sure. Great. Count me in. But, Suzuki versus Taichi? Ooh, mm-hmm. that's very interesting. So we'll see where that goes. And, you know, Yujiro's going to have to drop a house on Jeff Cobb to beat him. Cobb's, who's your, so we got one match left for each block. Who's your MVP of the A block? MVP of the A block, Jay White. Um, I think, I just think, I think Jay's been great. I think he has, um, at, when he steps between the ropes, he's been able to focus enough to get those victories. I know there's a lot going on uh, within the Bullet Club and with um, Evil, and that was really apparent with the Yujiro match. Or maybe Yujiro just got an itch of pride and he didn't want to lay down for Jay White. So I think that there's something brewing there. And if Jay White can stay focused, I think he's he's the guy. It's It's hard to... It would be hard to take the the MVP and give it to anybody else. I just think Jay White has been the most dominant in the block so far. And and those wins over Ibushi and Okada, I mean, it's hard to look away from from that. That's why that's why Switchblade would get my vote. Other than that, it's Kota Ibushi. Um, I think Ibushi would have it had he not lost uh, to Jay White. I've just been entranced with how. Uh, Ibushi has wrestled the style of his opponent. You know, whether it was trading hands with uh, Suzuki the way they did, or, you know, the Osprey style or the Okada style, he has tailored his match around them. He got thrown around 95% of the time by Jeff Cobb, hit the Kamigoye, that's pretty much all he did, got the one, two, three. 
I dig that. That's that's cool. For me, as defending champion, you know, there's a chance to make history. Uh, and we could we we have a you know a, a scenario that's not completely unlikely, where we have the double champion versus the defending champion. Something's got to give Ooh. there with those two, you know, two things that one that hasn't happened in 20 years, and one that hasn't happened in 16 years. Throw the inter- intercontinental first time winner uh, in there as well. So th- there's in the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking, ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy Slab Packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club slab pack, and and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards, and yeah, you can open it, and look, it's going to be junk. You're, you, you know what I mean? Like You know what you're probably going to get in those. Maybe you find that fun, and sometimes I do. Sometimes I like just opening up cards and saying, oh, hey, look at some random cards or whatever, but if you're really in this game to, to find value and find particular cards, it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs, and it ends up being, you know, almost nothing. You know, nothing of value. Not with Arena Club. You can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading. So you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling, and you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net, arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net for 10% off your first purchase on Arena Club. And we thank them for sponsoring the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. It's a lot of cool stuff as we're heading down the stretch. I agree. I agree. All right, let's pivot over to the B Block. Uh, the B Block's final night will be Saturday, October 17th, 2020. Also from Ryugoku Sumo Hall. The B Block is a little clearer with only three wrestlers still alive. And a very clear hierarchy of who needs what to advance. So Evil and Tetsuya Naito are tied atop the block with 12 points. Evil holds the all-important tiebreaker over Naito. Sonata is still lingering in contention with 10 points as well. He faces Evil on the final night. He holds a tiebreaker over Tetsuya Naito. Uh, Zack Sabre Jr. is also in there with 10 points. I fielded a lot of questions about whether he's still alive. He's not. 
Um, Tetsuya Naito holds the tiebreaker over him. He would not have enough tiebreakers over Evil, Naito, or Sonata to be a factor in a multi-person tie. So Zack Sabre Jr. is eliminated, though he has the same number of points as Sonata, who is still very much alive. Um, behind the top group, Kenta and Hiroki Goto with eight points. Hiroshi Tanahashi, Juice Robinson, and Toriyano have six. And Yoshihashi brings up the rear with two. Uh, of note in this block, Tetsuya Naito is less than three minutes of total match length away from breaking the G1 record for the longest cumulative match time in a single G1 tournament. Um, Kevin, how do you think that factors into Naito's chances of beating Kenta and leaving himself in contention before what I'm assuming will be the main event of Sonata versus Evil on Saturday? Yeah, the well, the numbers are staggering and heading into uh night 16 naito was at two hours 58 minutes 31 seconds those the stats courtesy of uh chris samsa at the chris samsa <laughs> on twitter and uh sport of pro wrestling.com um staggering staggering absolutely staggering i felt like he was milking that match with yano just to get over that 11 minute mark and set the record um i, I think the biggest thing that has helped naito is not while the Usually the conventional wisdom is the longer your total minutes, the worse you're going to do down the stretch. But he's had quality minutes where he has not taken a ton of damage. No big moves on the edge edges of the ring, apron of the ring. It's mostly been in between the ropes. And there aren't those preview tags the night before or, say, the night after a big match. That's helped everybody. That has helped everybody. Not only does it make most of the nights of the G1 a, a two-hour, 30, two-hour, 45-minute total event, which is wonderful, but you, uh, everybody's a little fresher heading down the stretch, except Goto, who's got the injured shoulder, and Ishii, who just beats himself up because he's <laughs> Ishii. Um, so I think everybody's in good shape. But it, it's, uh, it's incredible what Naito has done. He, uh, by far, is the MVP, in my opinion. And, and I don't care how it shakes out. I don't care if he doesn't even win the block for me. He's the, he's the MVP. He's wrestled beautifully, perfectly. He set up everything. One thing he got away from, though, were some of those, the elbow strikes against Evil. And it didn't really put that together and evil still had a little pep in his step at the end but those elbow strikes are so good man they're demoralizing you can't stop them and nobody's figured out a counter for it yet it's been great very nice very nice so um like i said we don't have the match order officially in front of us but i am assuming the highest stakes match of the evening where both guys may have something at stake will main event the event and that will be evil versus sonata so sonata's role in what we're assuming is the final match will depend on whether tetsuya naito was able to defeat kenta in what i'm assuming is the semi-main event if naito was successful against kenta earlier sonata will uh only be able to spoil evil's chances at victory and push lij leader tetsuya naito through uh, if naito loses against kenta this match becomes winner takes the block Evil's role is simple, win, and he goes through no matter what. 
So, Kevin, what have you seen from Evil and Sonata throughout this tournament, and what indicators do you see towards who may be the victor in this match? (sighs) Evil and Sonata continue to perplex me. When they were both in LIJ, we said, well, one of these guys is going to need to break out. One of them's going to have to do something different. Otherwise, they're going to continue to do what they've done. But they need to do something different. And Evil made the big move. Evil was historically almost two points better than Sonata. 9.5 average versus eight. Mm-hmm. And, and really, you could say, okay, that's one extra win. One extra win. But here we are with Sonata, who would pray to get that match back against Goto and get those two points back. We'd have be having an entirely different conversation. And Evil has overly relied on Dick Togo that has taken away from his matches, that has taken away from any good that he's done, and if anything, has let opponents back in. And you see that even when he wins, the, the amount of time that he has to spend on the win, all the distraction of the referee and the, you know, Togo doing his thing and the reset, and then Evil's able to get back in control. He doesn't need it. It takes away from him. And I think that that's the reason why his matches have been uh, less than exemplary. Uh, Naito, to me, has been the standout. And and we're still having the same conversation about Evil and Sonata, even though, you know, we had a, a, a seismic shift uh, at the conclusion of the New Japan Cup. Sure, sure. And, uh, you know, to your point about, I guess, really both Evil and Sonata, they both have the worst win-loss differential in their block so both over eight minutes so they're they lose very quickly and then they draw out their wins um so that that doesn't bode well for them i guess i mean it's hard to say right they're both in this position where um this could be a a winner take all match if naito is not able to defeat kenta and either way you've got to imagine sonata will be motivated coming into this match um seeing as he does have a claim at an IWGP heavyweight and an intercontinental championship match via his defeat over Naito. So he may be motivated to still push his, his pal through um, knowing that he's still got a shot at his titles, albeit probably not at wrestle kingdom. If, if uh, Sonata does not win, I would say that Naito's one and only title defense will be against Sonata, I think. Even if Kenta wins against Naito, because Sonata beat, Sonata beat Kenta, um, and I don't know, I just, I'm just not, I'm just not feeling evil. And I, I didn't mind him in Bullet Club. I didn't mind him winning. I didn't mind the way he won. But I kind of agree with Jay White. You know, he needed Bullet Club to win the title. Then he had one title defense against a junior heavyweight, and then he lost. And there's just way too much Dick Togo in this. So I'm thinking, let's put Sonata in that spot, see how it is. It'll be a great match. Naito will win, and then he'll face whoever the G1 winner is at the Dome. I mean, sounds good to me. (laughs) Um, That's what what I would think in a perfect world. Again, Naito, of course, has already made history by being the first ever double champion. So why not have the champion? And then the question is, if he w- if Naito were to win the G1, who would he pick? That is that's the question that everyone likes to ponder. Right. Um, and I did 
far too many G1 preview podcasts with people. And the scenario that I liked to put out there was that Naito wins this whole thing. And he's got, you know, the G1 trophy, G1 flag, the two belts. He's he's just draped in it. And his pal Hiromu comes out and asks, hey, man, we never got to have that match in March. Right. And and there it is. So maybe a long shot. uh, But that's kind of what we do around here. We uh, we hypothesize about where we're headed. So I had my I had my uh, time and my fun with Hiromu fighting with the heavyweights. Mm, okay. But I saw I saw it. Okay. And I don't need to see it again. Yeah, Naito versus Hiromu would be great. And we might be able to do it at the anniversary event come next March if Hiromu uh, you know, gets the junior heavyweight championship back. Sure. But I I don't need to see it now. He's got unfinished business with uh Ibushi. He's got uh a little nod and a wink and a fist bump from Okada in a rematch from last year. And, you know, those are two directions I would much rather go than Hiromu versus, and no slight to Hiromu, no, I don't want to piss off the Hiromu fans. Yeah, I was going to say, you're going to, you're about to start a, start a Twitter riot. But I've been there and I've seen it. And, you know, I think that, you know, fighting for the heavyweight championship to fan, you know, uh, if, uh, if you gave me. Ishimori versus Hiromu at the dome, I'd be very happy with that. I'd be thrilled. Um, so I, I would much rather, you know, or Ryu Lee or whatever. I'd rather see that. I'd rather see that than Hiromu versus Naito at the dome. All right. Down further down the card, Naito versus Kenta um, in a rematch of their IWGP Heavyweight and Intercontinental Championship match at New Beginning in Osaka. I'm sure we all recall that was a very uh, it was gruesome. I mean, Naito Naito got bloodied up. He was able to defeat Kenta and um, and and kind of move on in a 35 minute and 50 second war at Osaka Joe Hall. Do you think Kenta learned anything from that match? And do you think he can take anything into this meeting and be able to overcome Naito? Kenta's a guy who needs help. Um, he needs outside forces. He needs uh, he needs something. He needs someone. Um, I think I think Naito should win that one, and but that's why they play the game. So if you know, again, I would say Naito has the advantage. He's my favorite heading in, but we'll see what happens. Kenta is not kenta is who kenta is now at this point and i think the more that he surrounds himself with and the more numbers that he has on his side the better he will be absolutely i mean bullet club is he's in bullet club for a reason he recognized a flaw in his game over the first couple of matches of last year's g1 and he decided that that was the route he wanted to go and and by all accounts it's it's worked out pretty well for him um, though he's not in contention here, he can certainly play spoiler to Naito as Naito attempts to continue on forward. He's four and ten in his last fourteen G one matches. That's not good. No, that's you know when you're when you're four hundred percent right or four not even uh, yeah four hundred batting average. Not good. Not good. That's not good. That's not and and again the first. No, oh wait, I'm sorry, I'm one off. So he was 4-0 last year. He lost his last five. And he's 
four and four this year. Eight, he's four and nine. Four and nine since going uh, four and zero last year. Pu, I have <laughs> trouble doing maths. How do you do the maths? Because I can't do it. Listen, I let the Excel do the maths. I just tell it what to do the maths on, and then I uh, make it pretty and digestible for the people and you. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> well, that's why you. Uh, you are you and I am me. I make it sound good, but you make it functional and accurate. That's, hey, ah. accurate, maybe after the second email sometimes, but accurate nonetheless. Well, that's okay. That's all right. I don't care about that. Sometimes I get it online early, so I let the, you know, I let the, the Twitter machine do its work and then I have to send you a correction, so. Hey, dummy, you messed up. Uh, that's my voice of the Twitter <laughs> hater. Who comes uh, over the top instead of privately DMing you? Yeah, exactly. Well, Come on, my way. DMs are open. Come on. <laughs> all right, down the card. We'll, we'll we'll buzz through a little bit here. Let's go all the way back to the bottom of the 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 block card of the B block final. Yoshihashi versus Toriyano. Yoshihashi's been a little bit of a story during this year's G1. He hasn't necessarily been able to win matches, but he's definitely stayed in them much longer than most would have anticipated. An average losing match time of 1727, which is over two minutes longer than his previous G1 average. So that actually represents an improvement after one year off of the G1. Toriano, of course, um, the efficient Toriano, he's still under one hour of G1 block match time, even after eight matches. So if this match with Yoshihashi is five minutes and 36 seconds or less, he will come in under an hour for a G1. That is still not nearly his shortest. Ben. Bet the, bet the under in that one. Take the under. Take the under, indeed. Have you seen anything from Yoshihashi that you think represents um, promise going forward in the singles division? I would say 1,000% yes. Uh, I play the game at the end of every G1. Does so-and-so deserve to be in the G1 next year based upon their performance this year? And even though Yoshihashi is dead at the bottom of the block was the first to be eliminated. I would pencil his name in with the ball as quickly as the block leaders. What a difference. And I, I really think it boils down to two issues, health and confidence winning that title earlier. The, the never six belt helped uh, gain him some confidence. And when he dodged the knee injury bullet in the new Japan cup match against Bushi, I think it's finally like, like that dark cloud has left Yoshihashi's head from injury. And, you know, I mean, we're two years removed from him running down the ramp, tripping, falling, hitting his head and dislocating his shoulder. I mean, that was as low as it could get for anybody. And he came back and it took him a long time to sort of get back. But then when he, you know, Bushi caught him with the boots in the corner and Yoshihashi staggered back and his knee buckled underneath him, I said, oh, here we go again. Um, But no, he was okay. He wasn't injured. He was just hurt, hurting. Uh, so I think it's a, a new start for him. And I think newfound confidence. And I think he's going to continue on from here. Absolutely. He's been a he's been a an asset to the tournament without a doubt. Um, obviously, a, a match with Toriano, always a toss up. You're never really sure what's going to happen here. Toriano over the last 10 years has had a straight up average of eight points. He's currently sitting at six. So um 
Yano, the likelihood of Yano, I'd have to put the probability on, on his end just based on 10 years of history, Yano ending with eight points, I believe six of the last 10. So moving up the card a little bit, Juice Robinson versus Hiroki Goto. This will be their fifth time meeting. There's third in the G1, um, third straight G1, actually. So, And Juice Robinson has been successful in their previous two G1 meetings um, in 2018 and 2019. Before that, Goto defeated Juice Robinson in two never openweight championship matches in 2017 and 2018. Juice is on a four-match losing streak. Kevin, what do you know about Juice Robinson's resilience? I know that... He is very frustrated right now, and I think he two years ago, he had the broken hand. Last year, he had John Moxley. This year, he had double digits. Once he got within striking distance of double digits, then it became a thing, and now that's the next hurdle he has to get over. But Juice has been always very good at overcoming those hurdles. Uh, you know, he got beyond the broken hand to finally get some wins at the end of the G1 a couple of years ago. He did beat John Moxley at the end of last year's tournament. So we'll see. He gets I think he gets the monkey off his back and he's a double digit guy. He's got to come up with a new finisher other than that pulp friction. It's too hard to hit. It's too easy to escape or counter. And I think he's got to just figure out what that next thing is. Tetsuya Naito basically told him that in his post-match comments. He said juice is good. He has everything it takes to get there. He's missing maybe just one little thing. And if we meet again, well, I'll still win. But that's where Naito sees it. And I think Naito is watching the Pulp Friction as being like, okay, that's good. But you need something that's more solid. And Juice is so strong, he can pretty much do anything. So I don't. I think that's where he's at. Sure. As a Chicago guy, and specifically a Chicago suburbs guy, um, Juice Robinson will always have a little soft spot in my heart. I do like the new look. He is a blues brother from good old Joliet. So, um, Calumet City. Calumet City. I got <laughs> corrected on Twitter. I can't remember. But Jake served time in Joliet prison. That's why he was Joliet Jake. So I forgot that one. And uh, Juice's jackhammer now is the Joliet jackhammer. Which is the name of a independent league baseball team used to be it changed oh uh i must have missed that i guess no it did he sent me a note i'll read it to you yeah hold on um i feel like i just went to well not this year but i feel like i just went to a juliet oh they're the slammers now slammers they used to be the jackhammers but now they're the slammers so yeah that's uh so do said hey i'm gonna start calling my uh jackhammer the joliet jackhammer after the baseball team so I said, all right, and, and that'll be one of the that's one of the two yet to be released English commentary episodes uh, on New Japan World. But I'm, I have a feeling both will be up within hours very quickly. Got to give the people what they want, right? That's right. Not just in the C block. Exactly. And the third match on the card, Zack Sabre Jr. versus Hiroshi Tanahashi in their ninth meeting. They have traded victories throughout um, with various different stakes, including the Rev Pro Undisputed British Heavyweight title, the G1. Uh, they've made, they've met twice in the New Japan Cup, the IWGP Heavy or Intercontinental Championship. These guys have wrestled for pretty much everything, everything except for the big the big title. So their ninth time, like I said, they've traded victories. What are you looking out for in this match? 
the fact that he's catching uh, Tana at the end of the tournament bodes well for Zack Sabre Jr., who, you know, doesn't take damage and punishment the same way a Tanahashi does. Tana's ripe for the picking now. Osprey beat him at last year's tournament. Uh, Tana's may not even get to eight points this year, which is kind of sad when you think about it. Um, but Zach being eliminated, I think that's going to lessen the pressure on him. And instead of worrying about necessarily needing to get the win, he's going to be more cautious about not losing. And Sometimes that changes Zach's mindset. It also changes Tanahashi's mindset. It's going to be very interesting to see how that match goes. I'm sure the ace, Hiroshi Tanahashi, doesn't want to end this G1 on a four-match losing streak. So um, something to fight for there. Zack Sabre Jr. on a three-match winning streak, though uh, the other pieces to his puzzle did not pan out the way he had hoped. So that's all the matches on that B-Block card. Kevin, I've got to ask, if you had to put a bet on it, if you had to drop a parlay, what would you do? What would you say is going to be, who, who would you say is going to be the winner of the A-Block, the winner of the B-Block, and then who wins the final? <sighs> I think, let's start with the B-Block. I have a feeling that Evil's going to win. Uh, if only because it's not what I want to happen. And the G1 always has a way of never giving me exactly what I want. Uh, I did com- predict the uh, final correctly two years ago. I was wrong last year. And I'll, it was the fir- 18 was the first year I ever got it right, put it that way. So I'm, I'm anticipating being wrong. Kota Ibushi, to me, as a defending champion, is... Such an interesting story. I, I, if I, if you gave me Evil versus Abushi, I would love it. I wouldn't be shocked if that were to happen. Um, that's probably where I would go. I would go Ibushi versus Evil, and l- let's see what happens there. My secondary pick would be Okada versus Evil. And that would be, I think that would be the only two matches I would feel comfortable putting money on. All right. What do you think? I think I haven't had to say this out loud yet. I think Jay White comes out of the A block and I think evil comes out of the B block. Wow. I, I mean, that's what my, I mean, I'm a numbers guy, but also just kind of how I'm, what I'm seeing, um, you know, my, the numbers add up, they both have the cleanest path through Jay White and evil. They both just need to win and they're in and they've been a little chippy with each other in those backstage promos. And there, right. I mean, there's, there's clearly a lot going on, uh, on the interpersonal side of the bullet club. So whether well, if you heard Jay, if you heard Jay White's last, uh, he took ownership of what happened with Yujiro. Said he and Yujiro talked. Yujiro felt like, and he didn't really put heat on Yujiro for saying it, but he said, "I understand." Yujiro probably felt like I showed him up a little bit by coming out in street clothes. I just thought we had a deal, and a deal is a deal, regardless of what I wore. But Yujiro's pride kicked in, and that's what happened. To, I apologize. I apologize, Yujiro. I talked to him. I said, "I apologize." And he understands that 
Gato is, you know, he believes Gato. He takes Gato's word for it. So that was it. He diffused everything on his side, right? What he can control, he diffused it. Evil, though, I don't think he's, he kind of danced around and didn't say anything like direct, but left it open to where I think there can be more there if that's the direction that they decide to go. Sure. I'll tell you what I want. I want either Kota Ibushi or Kazuchika Okada to go through. Um, I, I think the likelihood of um, Evil or Sonata then from the B block either would be okay with me. And, uh, it, you know, when it comes to who's going to win this thing uh, in the final, it's anyone's game. I mean, we saw last year with Kota Ibushi and Jay White, just a wonderful match. And Kota Ibushi outlasted Jay White. And the year before that, Hiroshi Tanahashi on what many may you know assume is his last big great run um in the longest g1 match ever uh, beating kota ibushi in that match was also kind of a surprise so um tough to tough to bet on that i'm sure we will all be posting our predictions all over the internet and twitter and on audio later on kevin anything else you want to add I'm going to be a wreck on Monday. I just want everybody to know that. So if you need anything from me or if I owe you a call or an email, forget it. You ain't going to get it because my mind, Chris, my, my head is so full of this G1. Like Ernie Ladd used to say, I just need a couple of days to wring my brain out. I need to just wring my brain out after the G1. I usually get very sad at the end of G1s because it's over. And I am, I think I'm going to be sad again. By the time this ends, it's been a shock to my system that it wasn't in July and August. That's already a huge thing. And it's taken me time to get used to. Um, But this having this G1 in the midst of a global pandemic has returned some normalcy to my life. And I can't thank it enough. So it's been just great. I kind of don't want it to end. And I'm sure on Monday, I'll feel sad that it's over. Well, the good news is, Kevin, you've got two more tournaments coming up in December, and I'm not sure what the the broadcast uh, plan will be for those, but Best of the Super Juniors and World Tag League are right behind the G1 this year. I'm not going to have a day (laughs) off, is what you're telling me. No, I know. If the broadcast schedule is true to the event schedule, then there will you know, they'll have a World Tag League, and then the next day Super Junior, and then the next day World Tag League. Ugh, wow that's yep. gonna be a lot but we'll do it and eventually maybe sooner rather than later i'll be back live in japan who knows we're hoping for you we're hoping for you live back in japan i'll be here to help trust me i appreciate you coming on kevin i will let you go obviously you and Chris Charlton and Rocky Romero will be live on these calls all throughout the weekend. That is why we're here. That is what we're talking about. And we want everyone to be able to watch live or immediately at their leisure on NewJapanWorld.com and JPWWorld.com. So, Kevin, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate the time. And uh, we will see you next time.